Welcome to The Art of Discernment, a podcast where professors from across the Master's University discuss current events and higher education from a biblical worldview. Hello, and welcome back to The Art of Discernment broadcast. This is Dr. Bob Dixon, and joining me today is Dr. Ty Danae Bradley. Dr. Bradley, nice to have you here. Thanks for having me, Bob. Dr. Bradley holds a PhD from the City University of New York Graduate Center. She is currently a research mathematician for a large tech company. And we are currently blessed to have her here as a visiting professor. Uh, Since 2015, she has written blog posts for her website, mathema.com, as a way to clarify complex mathematical ideas for herself and others, which I know I need all the time. And this fall, she has helped us launch a STEM research institute at the university. Your PhD work was related to artificial intelligence with a focus on mathematics that arises in language and how that math can be used to help computers understand language better. Now, that, that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. So that's what we're going to unpack today. Uh, first, where did the idea for this PhD research come from? Yeah. So um, thank you for asking and for having me here sure. today. Uh, so yeah, interesting question. Um, when I was in graduate school, uh, I, have, I had a thesis advisor. And around the time that I needed a dissertation project, my thesis advisor, who is a mathematician at CUNY, founded a research startup company in essentially language modeling, natural language modeling, um, using ideas from mathematics and even uh, from physics. So around this time that he founded this startup, it was the same time I needed a dissertation project for my PhD. And so he kind of suggested, hey, why don't we work together on this? You know, yeah. we're doing some cool, some cool AI-related things, and you're learning math, and you need to write a, a thesis, a dissertation. Why don't we make it on this, this topic? And so I thought, hey, that sounds great. Let's do it. That's great. I mean, when, when I was in school, there's a big separation between math and language. You know, there, there were those of us... On, on one side of the room, and we were the language arts students. And then there was the math students that, that I always kind of looked at with awe because they could they could understand these things and solve these problems, and, and it was much harder for me. Now, you say mathematics arises in language. Can we dig into that a bit? Like, what math are you referring to when you... when you? Okay, so there are a number of ways I could answer this question. <laughs> I bet, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose one way that I really like a lot. Okay. Now, it may not seem mathematical at, at the beginning, but it'll be fun. So, All right. So let's go for it. Now, there's a, a famous linguist who has this well-known quote from the 1950s. His name is John Firth, and he's well-known for saying, you shall know a word by the company it keeps. Huh. Okay. And I like that. How yeah. do you know what a chair is? Well, you kind of look at the English language and you see the context that the word chair is in like, okay, people sit in chairs. There's a chair on the dining room, in the dining room, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So chair right. somehow its meaning is captured by its context or the network of ways that that word fits into the surrounding language. So that's kind of a philosophical perspective. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing is that that concept where the meaning of something is captured in its relationship to other things, that's actually a very mathematical concept. And it turns out right, that okay. in the mathematical universe, that same thing happens. So it turns out there's actually a theorem in mathematics that says, if you want to know all there is to know about a mathematical object, I'm being very vague here, because what does 
a math object mean? I don't know. I mean, I do know, but let's not. You know I don't, but I trust you. <laughs> but there's a theorem that says all of the information about that thing is contained in the network of ways it fits into its environment. So what's funny is that you look in linguistics and you see this there. And you look in the mathematical landscape and you see that there. And it turns out that in mathematics, there are formal tools to make that concept rigorous. And then you can actually use those tools to maybe model things in language. So that's one way, one okay. of many ways that math arises so, in language. So in other words, like, in other words, like I'm going to sum this up, but I'm not. But I think I, I understand. So you talk about a chair. We're both sitting in chairs right now. Yeah. Uh, if, if you were to study 10,000 pages of, of text. Yes. There's a number of times that the word chair comes up. And how many times what, does chair come up alongside the verb sit or or that? Exactly. And, and connected to how, numbers of people versus chairs. Like there, there's, exactly. you, you can quantify that in, in language. And my understanding of math and computers is if you can quantify something, now you can teach a you can teach it to a computer. Is that? Yep. Is yep. that what we're talking about here? Yep. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. So... So how, how can math then, I guess this is, the, this, this is the next question, it makes sense. How can math be used to help computers understand human language? Yeah. So, so I, you, I think you hinted at it there when you used the word quantify. So the word chair is a word. I mean, it's comprised using, you know, letters from our alphabet. Um, but maybe computers don't quite know what, what letters are, but computers are very good at understanding numbers. So then the question is, how can we actually represent words or text in a way that computers can understand, like in numbers in some way. So um, one thing that you can do that's very popular is to take a word and represent it not by a number, but actually a list of numbers. So if you think of an Excel spreadsheet, right, it's got mm -hmm. columns and rows, and you can imagine having just a column's worth of numbers, like three, seven, point two, blah, blah. So it turns out that um, a big task in, in natural language processing is to represent a word by a list of numbers, like a column in an Excel spreadsheet, such that those numbers capture something of the meaning of that word. Okay. So where does the math come in? Well, they're numbers, so there's math. But then the question is, how do you actually find those numbers? How do you find that representation in a way that's useful? There's a lot of mathematics that goes into that. Oh, boy. Okay. The, after you answer these questions, I have to think for a second <laughs> to make sure I'm, I, I get my mind around it so I can keep up with this, because yes. this is really interesting to me. So, so what are some real-world examples of how math is being used to help computers understand human language better? Like examples or applications, maybe that's a better, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there, there are some applications that probably lots of folks are familiar with. For example, if I send a text message, maybe my phone might autocomplete, you know, the rest of my text. Like, hello, how are you? And then my phone might prompt the word doing. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, sure. Right. Um, so there are things like autocomplete or, or Google Translate. You know, how do you say hello in Spanish? Hola. Right. I can type this in on my computer. Right. So, so I think these are things that folks are familiar with. So you're taking language um, and you're inputting it into the computer and it's outputting language in a way that you would expect, like translation or um, autocorrect or something. Um, but there are more, so these things are called language models, by the way. Okay. So, so a language model is essentially, I don't know, a recipe or an algorithm that predicts words based on 
some input words or based on, you know, mm-hmm. if I say, I went to the grocery store to buy a loaf of bread. Bread. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're an excellent language model because you predicted this correctly. So, with very high probability, that sentence would end with the word bread. With very low probability, would it be, you know, I went to the grocery store to buy a loaf of airplane. Very low probability. Okay. So, that, yeah. So, you, you want to learn this probability distribution on language. And just learning that, that thing is called a language model. Okay. It sort of says, okay, with, with likely, high likelihood, the you know, translation of this sentence in English would be yada yada in French, or the okay. end of this word would be bread or something. Okay, so it turns out that nowadays there are much more sophisticated applications that can happen. So we just talked about translation or completing sentences. Right. But now there are applications like you can ask a language model to read a news article and summarize it for you in two sentences. Or you can ask it to write a poem, write a poem in the style of your favorite poet, and it can do that. Okay, you can, wow. You can ask it to, you know, read a, a movie review on Rotten Tomatoes and, and say what the sentiment is. Is that a positive review or a negative review? You can ask it to write a blog post that sounds very much like a human wrote it, and you can't distinguish between a human's writing and a computer. So now they're very sophisticated. And, and can you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound archaic, can you program this into a, an AI for a, like a sales, a robot sales call to you? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, these chat things, yeah, you know. Where, where it's definitely a human voice on the other end. I mean, it, 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 yeah. it's very natural sounds, and then it seems to, like, it, it, there's a pause and then, it, and then it answers your question. Yeah. And I'm not really, I, I'm not sure if I'm talking to a human or not exactly. at that point. And is that part of that probability, yeah. that, that yep. sophistication? So, so you said something interesting. You said you could have it write poetry. And, yeah. you know, that, that gets very philosophical because yeah. now, you know, what, what makes something artistic and what makes, you know, and has your experience been with, with that sort of thing? It's a, it's a broad question, but just the... It is. Well, so, so there are kind of two, so the campus kind of divided into two regions. So some folks say, oh, this is, this is real intelligence. You know, the computer, mm-hmm. it's like a human. It has feelings and it can write this beautiful poem. And then other folks are kind of on the opposite end. They're like, no, 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 it's just recognizing patterns. It just looks at, you know, all of the poems that it, it's read before and it just kind of infers, oh, usually people, you know, like rhyme these stanzas and da, da, da. so so f- folks are kind of divided. Is this actually, you know, what's really going on here? Is it just uh, a dumb computer, but that can, you know, look at patterns and reproduce them really well? Or is there something deeper going on? But when I teach writing courses, and, and if I teach a class on writing a short story or writing a poem, yeah. we're looking at models, like we're look- looking at patterns. That's, that's yep. one of the ways that I teach human beings to write. I say, well, what are the models? You know, let's look at how it's been done before and let's study what makes it exceptional and let's try to do likewise. So is that really so different from what you just described? It certainly does not sound different on the surface. I mean, this is what you're doing with the computer. You're, You're training it, you're showing it examples and you're saying, hey, learn to do this thing. Um, very much like you yeah, would teach right. others, yeah. Okay, so so what's the difference between you know, a language model and I guess a large language model? Because yeah. I know there's there's I've right. Heard that. So so a language model is just this um, kind of basic concept, this umbrella term for using statistics in language to sort of predict which words will come next, whether that's in a translation or an autocompleter, something like that. A large language model is kind of a newer term that, that's been out for the past few years, and it refers to a very specific recipe or algorithm. Um, how, how are you going to 
use the statistics in language to make these predictions. There are many ways that you can do that, and people have technical terms for those. Okay. One of those terms, it's called a neural network. Mm -hmm. So a neural network is a piece of sophisticated machine learning that's used nowadays. And the word large just means that when you train this language model, like you're training your students by saying, look at all of these examples, the word large refers to the amount of data that you're using to train. Like how many, how many poems did you let your students read? I don't know, maybe like five or something. Right. But maybe for this large lang language model, it's something like five million. <laughs> uh, so you, so, you so computers it. don't suffer from cognitive overload, do they? <laughs> I mean, right. But then there are other questions like, hey, is this really efficient? It takes a lot of compute power to train these things. It takes a lot of time, time too. So, so the word large refers to kind of the number of parameters there, that are involved. Parameters are like little mathematical knobs you can tweak to kind of make sure the things work the way that you want them to. So the word large is just referring to this kind of big data, okay. large parameter type thing behind the scenes. And, and is that limited by the, like you said, the computing power and, and, and therefore also unlocked by greater computing, quantum that's computing? That's right. That's right. That so, stuff. I mean, there, there are papers that are published nowadays that are like, look, if you have a bigger computer and more compute power, then you get better results. Uh, so this is a thing that that's certainly area of research, yeah. Okay, so you, you wrote on your blog that the, the, the text used to train a, a large language model is, is totally unstructured. Yeah. So meaning that there are no grammatical or semantic rules or information given in the model. Explain that a little bit. Right. So so what that means is that when you are showing data to your language model, this is analogous to showing your students poems. You don't have to tell the computer that a chair is a noun and that sit is a verb and that, you know, lovingly is an adjective or something. Uh, and maybe you don't have to do that with your students either, but maybe at, at some point they learned when they were in grade school or something. Hope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so all that means is, is that you don't have to tell the computer grammar or syntax, but what's interesting is that it kind of infers this or it learns this. And how do you know that? Because it actually produces coherent chunks of text that are grammatically correct. So when I when I said unstructured, I just meant you just kind of let it read English, like correct English, and you don't have to tag, you don't have to do parts of speech tagging. You don't have to say, hey, this is a noun, okay. and make sure that you know your your verbs match your nouns, whether they're singular or plural, like, hey, computer, there's all of these words, uh, uh, rules. You don't have to tell it that. You just say, here's what good English looks like, produce some of your own. Okay, and this, and these these algorithms, like all algorithms, are they, they're, they're learning all the time. Yes, I'm, you know, and, yes. And is that dependent Somewhat on the individual too. Can can something be tailored to your? I guess so. I think you kind of answered this to your own writing style. I mean, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So the kind of output that you get in these language models definitely depends on the kind of input. So if you were to sort of only show your language model, you know, poetry written for five-year-olds, then that's all it knows. So if you ask it to write a poem, probably it's going to output something in the same style. So yeah kind of based on your your input or your data uh, that'll affect the training and, and the output as well. Because language is so complicated, complex, always changing. I mean, it would be easy to teach a computer Latin because it's, it's yeah. well, easy. <laughs> I say easy because, you know, theoretically everything, you know, yeah, I don't know how to do it, but it would be easy. But, you know, Latin is, is, is static now. It's not changing. But English, for example, we, yeah. you know, if you were to try to say, well, no, this is a, this computer, this is a verb, this, well, tomorrow might be used as a noun or vice yeah. versa. And then it's, you know, 
the computer has to be able to yes. learn and, and yes. for itself for itself somehow. Yes, right? and how that's a mystery to me in some way. But I think you're 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 helping me see better what that means. And for sure, I think that this is an answer to our anybody who's listening to this who either has kids or has thought this themselves. Oh, what? Why do I need to learn math? How am I? I'm not. I don't need math. I have a calculator. Like, <laughs> well, actually, it's more complicated than that, and it has a lot more application than just, well, balance my checkbook. Definitely. Which is not a bad thing to do, but there's a has much more application. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so when I when I'm typing a text and it starts to auto auto and it's right yeah. way too much of the time, which kind of freaks me out. This is the reason. This <laughs> yeah. is why, listener, that your that your phone seems to understand you a little better every day. That's right. There's a lot of math behind it. We've talked a lot of philosophy and, and technology, and it's interesting how those two overlap yeah. um, these days. Now, as, as a Christian, as a mathematician, what are your thoughts on your research from a biblical perspective? I know that's a that's a big question. It's yeah. a lot, but yeah. you know, I know you think about these things. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think um, towards answering this question, I might take a step back a little bit and kind of broaden, broaden the perspective. So... Um, I'm a mathematician, and personally, I'm actually interested more, well, I should say, I'm interested in less less in applications of things and more of why things work the way they do. Mm-hmm. Now, one, one way that you can get a better understanding of why things work the way they do is by taking a 30,000-foot viewpoint, okay? So you may ask, or I may ask, hey, there's this mathematical structure and language. That's really interesting. I studied it for several years. Um, but you may, you may want to abstract that a little bit and say, does this kind of structure appear anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Not just in the scientific landscape, but what about in creation? What about in the natural world? Where else do we see little constituents like words coming together to create a cohesive mm-hmm. whole whose sort of properties are driven by the statistics of how those little constituents fit together. I'm, I'm just abstracting this phenomenon in language, and I'm asking, do I see that elsewhere in the world? Turns out the answer is yes, actually. This kind of structure also appears in physics, the physics of the very small, like the quantum world. Yeah. And I like that, because what that means is that maybe I can use mathematical tools that physicists have used and apply those tools in understanding something about language. And maybe by transporting tools across realms, I get to see things that maybe other folks haven't seen because they didn't think about those tools. Or maybe I have different perspectives. So why do I like doing that? Because all of this, I just think, speaks something to, number one, God's genius and wisdom in creation. I look at the created world. I see mathematics all the time there. Mm -hmm. And I think, wow, our God is a great God. Mm -hmm. But also his common grace and even allowing us access to these things. I mean, I look at the world of artificial intelligence and all of the amazing technology that's been produced nowadays. I mean, it's incredible work. And I think that all of that is God's common grace. He's allowing us this knowledge. He's allowing us to have this understanding. And and why? What's the purpose for that? It's really to give the glory back to Him. Mm-hmm. Now, not everyone in the field does that, but yet that's the point. I mean, it's amazing that He has equipped our brains to be able to think and understand the world and then be creative and then create things that can, you know, hopefully make society a better place. But then as a mathematician, as I look under the hood of those things and I ask, why does that work? I get to see another level, right? And it's kind of an invisible level that not everyone sees. And that still endears the Lord to me. Like, wow, he's so amazing that he let our brains think about mathematics in this way that then has an application. It's amazing that, wow, that mathematics also 
also appears in the natural world. Uh, what a great savior that we have. I mean, so this is one one perspective. Yes. I mean, we, we look at creation and we glorify the Lord. Well, creation isn't only the sea and the sky and mountains. It's, you say, looking under the hood. It's just dig, yeah. getting taking closer, closer, closer look and seeing it, you know, whether, whether it's a, a chemist looking at the chemistry, whether it's a, 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 a physicist looking at the, the physicality, the physics of yep. it, or a mathematician understanding the math of it all, how it how it how it works together. That's also God's creation, exactly. and, and, and uh, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Okay, before before we finish up, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the STEM Research Institute that you've helped establish. So it's Mathema.institute. Tell us about it. Yeah. So so Mathema, the Mathema Institute, was really born very recently from my website, Mathema, which you alluded to at the very beginning. Now, the Institute is essentially a brand new research hub on campus, um, encompassing not just mathematics, but all of STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math. And it's essentially a little initiative that we started so that students here on campus can also get their feet wet in the world of research. So, you know, learning technical science-y topics in the classroom has a has a bit of a different flavor than doing original research, right. whether that's, you know, graduate level work or even, you know, at the professional level. So we want to provide some of those opportunities to students on campus and create sort of a research vibe here. Um, and this is really born from some of the things we talked about already, which is using the talents and creativity and knowledge that God has given us of his creation for his glory. Essentially, our, our, our slogan is esteeming the voice of Christ in STEM. So nice. we want to do this not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look how smart we are, but so that we can learn these things and say, well, look how great our God is. So we want to kind of learn this knowledge and then share it back with the world in a way that's accessible because science can be very technical at times. So we want to share those things with the world in a way that's easy to understand so that they may in turn look to the one who is the true source of it all. So some initiatives we have, for example, this Spring, we're starting a brand new expositional journal where TMU faculty will write about their original research in a way that's accessible and easy to understand. So, you know, we'll have a copy in the library so folks can check it out there and we'll also have a digital copy online. We'll do other things like uh, we've been talking about having a public lecture series mm -hmm. so we can give talks about these things and invite students and faculty, but also folks from the public who are interested. So the Mathema Institute is really taking these sort of research directions and then bringing them to campus and providing a, an avenue for students. I love it. So it's it's Mathema. Now, it's not... it. To find it online, it's different than it sounds. It's math3ma.institute. Mathema.institute is the institute, and mathema.com is the actual, is your blog. That's right. That's okay. right. Okay. So it's again, it's math3ma.institute com or dot institute exactly, either one exactly fantastic wow this is this is some heady stuff like <laughs> yeah. i really have enjoyed this and i and i i hope listeners i hope you've enjoyed it too dr bradley thank you so much for for bringing shedding some light on a fascinating area of study and and we're blessed to have you here on campus i'm sure our students uh are are taking full advantage of of your of your expertise in this area it is fascinating yeah thank you bob it's great to be here appreciate it thank you for listening to the art of discernment for more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you next time.